Well, church, my name's AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. It's so good to be with you this morning. Um, it's my favorite time of the year. It's fall. Where are my fall people at? Come on, it's the right season. That's right. That's right. It's sweater weather. It's home of the number one top-seeded holiday, Thanksgiving. Let's give a shout of praise for all the real saved people who love Thanksgiving. All right, there's a couple of you. Thank you. Thank you. And those who humor me, I appreciate that as well. Um, it's pumpkin patch season. I've already got 12 pumpkins in my house. So if you want to know how that's going for us, um, way too many pumpkins. Uh, but one of the things I love about this time of year of the pumpkin patch season, the fall festival season, all of this is the corn mazes. I, I love corn mazes. I love the idea that someone saw a field of corn and said, let me mow a path through that, throw a bunch of strangers and children in it and just let them loose. I love that idea. I never got to do them as I was a kid, probably because my parents didn't trust me with it so much. But now as an adult, I like to do it. I think it's, I think it's quite fun. And, and the best corn mazes around have that overlook in the middle. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's like a brick, only the good ones. So if you've not been to one, well, you know. Uh, the good ones have that overlook in the middle. It's like a bridge you can get up to. And if you can find your way to the overlook, you can get up and you can get a look at what the whole maze looks like. And you can kind of see the, the, the path out. And more importantly, you can see all the stuck and lost people and see where they're, where they're hemmed up. I love it. The overlook is clutch. It gives you a moment to get your head above the hedge line and chart a path. If you're like me, you just take a little cell phone picture of it. Then you can sprint out and make your friends feel bad because you're so good at mazing. That's the adjective word I just created for going through mazes. It's free to you. The overlook, though, is crucial. Overlook is crucial. It gives you a view of the way out of the maze. I've got a but God message for you today that I hope serves as our overlook. So many of us in the maze of life are trying to navigate it without running into dead ends, setbacks, and, and, and just getting all turned around and messed up. One of the greatest things that messes us up on this journey of life is sin. We just can't make good choices half the time. We think we're doing what's right. We're giving into impulses. We're finding ourselves stuck, turned around, hurting others, hurting ourselves, and we just feel lost sometimes. My hope is that this message this morning serves as an overlook that you can just maybe for 40 minutes or so peek your head up above the hedge line. You can see the maze for what it is, see the game and find the way out. Title of the message today is the way out. And my hope for you is that it's a breath of fresh air and it's a glimpse of the freedom that's afforded to you in Christ. We're going to be in first Corinthians chapter 10 today. You can turn with me there. I have uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. I've got 12 verses of context, one verse of power, and to make it extra anointed, we are reading out of the New King James Version. All the saints in the house said hallelujah. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Come on, somebody's ready to receive the word this morning. They said, tired of this NIV, tired of this ESV, somebody give me God's translation. <laughs> and you know that it is because it starts with this, moreover brethren... Hallelujah. Come on, baby. You and me, we're going to preach today. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13 says this. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. 
Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as, as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of us, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let's pray. Father God, we invite you into this moment. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Fill my mouth with your words that you might be glorified. Holy Spirit, do the work that we cannot do in the natural. Move on our hearts and our minds today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm the youngest of four boys, some of you know that, and the privilege I get of being the youngest is the privilege of learning from so many mistakes, just so many mistakes from my brothers. There's kind of a descending scale of discipline in my house over the years. Uh, oldest children tend to know this. You got whooped the most. You got time out for everything. You got sent to your room for everything. You got privileges taken away. You got spanked on the daily. That's my oldest brother. Uh, just, you know, someone had to go before us and it was him. Uh, my other brother, he was about equal, but that's because he was acting a fool most of his life. Um, love you, Jay. Um, and then there was my other brother, and you know he was a little bit less. And then I'm like, I'm like down here. I think I got spanked twice in my entire life. Uh, never really got that much discipline. My brothers always thought it's because I was the baby. It's not because I was the baby. It's because I was smarter than them. I just watched and learned. And don't do what gets a bad result. You do the other thing. Uh, well, I didn't think it was that hard. The babies of the family are with me this morning. They know just what that's like. <laughs> I like that. We're going to have a youngest kids meet up after church today. <laughs> Paul is doing the same thing for us with this passage. He's saying there's a group of people that have gone before you. That there's something about them that if you look at them, you can learn from them. Because they're not so different from you. He's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about God's chosen people. The people who were enslaved in Egypt. That God delivered them out of slavery and bondage through the waters of the Red Sea, and then into the promised land. And he's saying there's a lesson that you can learn if you look at them and apply it to your life. And I want you to remember. But listen to this, because this is very important when we talk about who Paul is talking about in this passage. It can be easy to hear the list of sins I named and go, man, these crazy people who are acting out, these rebellious, stubborn, hard-hearted people, yeah, let's learn from their bad mistakes. But I want you to look carefully at the words Paul uses to describe them. He says this. He says, this is the people that were under the cloud. Under the cloud just means this. When God was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, through the desert for 40 years, by day they were led by a pillar of smoke or a cloud, and by night it was a pillar of fire. What that represents for us is the personal presence of God walking with them after they were rescued or saved by him. 
This is a people who were saved by God and walked with him. He says they passed through the Red Sea, through the waters of the Red Sea. He makes it explicit. He says they were baptized by Moses in this moment. So this is a people who were saved by God, walked with God, and were baptized. And then he says they all ate and drank of the same spiritual food, that of Jesus Christ. For us, what is our spiritual food? We eat the word, drink in the spirit of God. These are the spiritual disciplines that we practice every day. So let's review. This was a people who were saved by God, walked with God, were baptized into the body of God, and read their Bibles every day. This is not some stubborn, hard-hearted people. Man, this is me. This is us. And Paul says, there's a lesson I want you to learn, lest you think too highly of yourself, that you can learn from them. If it can happen to them, it can happen to you. So be wary and take heed, lest you fall. He uses this story of the Israelites to draw out two important truths that I want to share with you today. I want to talk to you about what's common to man and what's true about God. What's common to man and what's true about God. There are some things that all of us have in common. And I think that's pretty neat. I like that. As we uh, either look for relationships, friendships, spouses in our lives, coworkers that we get along with, we're looking for things that we have in common. And there's a lot of things that you and I have in common. Unfortunately, we look for the endearing qualities, but the things that I can guarantee all of us have in common today are not quite the most endearing things. I'm so sorry to tell you. But within each of us, is deep down, if we're honest, there's a response to all that I said about the Israelites and their stubbornness and the hardness of hearts. There's a, there's a pride in most of us that says, yeah, that, but that's not me. That couldn't happen to me. I've got control of the sin in my life. It's really not that bad. I could be doing a lot worse. Let's be honest. Have you seen some other people? I could be doing a lot worse. I'm pretty good. There's a pride that we carry when it comes to our sin that says, mine's not really that big of a deal. I mean, God knows my heart. He understands. We're cool. It's a lot of grace. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to end up like them. But this is a people who were saved, walked with God, baptized, led by his spirit and his presence. And it says that with most of them, God was not pleased. With most of them, God was not pleased. And why was he not pleased? He was not pleased with them because although he had rescued, saved, and delivered them, they had given themselves over to a lifestyle of sin. It says they were idolaters. It says that they found other things to worship and to give their time to other than God. Now, lest you come in the church and think I'm talking about little figurines you put up on your mantle and you pray to. That's not what I'm talking about for our day and age. We have idols out of our image. We have idols out of our careers. We have money has always been an idol from the beginning of time. Influence and significance might be the idol that drives you. The projection of yourself you put before others. Entertainment might be your idol. It might be the thing you give yourself to before you give yourself to anything else. This is a people who were chosen by God, yet they chose other gods. This was a people who who had free DoorDash every day for 40 years, manna delivered to their doorsteps, and they complained to God about their provision. You kidding me? God gave them every good thing they needed, and they grumbled and they complained. You ever complain about the good stuff God gave you? Lord, give me a spouse. Why this one? We just want to have children. Why these ones? 
How many of us? I need the job. God, this job. <laughs> Grumbling and complaining. Testing God. God provided them, delivered them, rescued them, showed them away into the promised land. Prove to me you love me, God. Prove to me you're with me, God. God, if you just do this one thing, I'll know that you're really there. Have you ever been there? Giving yourself over to sexual immorality and pursuing the desires and the lusts of the flesh over the purity and the holiness of God. And with most of them, God was not pleased because they gave themselves over to a lifestyle of sin. And this is what's common with all of us is that we have this pride. We have this sin that's in our nature that we think ours is okay. And it's not that big of a deal. And God is pleased with me, even as I pursue the desires of the flesh. And Paul is just saying, listen, if the chosen people of God wrestled with these sins, don't be surprised when you do too. If it can happen to them, it can happen to you. So be wary not to puff yourself up with pride. He literally says, if you think you can stand on your own, be careful because pride comes before the fall. So take heed lest you fall. And when we fall, which is inevitable because sin is in our nature, when we fall, it only ever produces one thing, shame. Because the image that we have of ourselves is ruined and we're confronted with the depths of our own depravity. And shame produces silence. And we hide and we bury and we mask it and we cover it up. And not only do we no longer talk to ourselves about the good things of God, we don't listen to others as they talk to us about the good things of God. And the only voice we begin to hear is that of shame, which tells you you are a failure. You can't do it. You're not good enough. You're so embarrassing. You're pathetic. You ought to be better by now. Nobody will love you. Nobody will accept you. Don't tell nobody in the church this. Are you kidding me? They won't let you come back. You hear one voice, the voice of shame. But I'm so encouraged by the words that Paul uses in this passage because he says this. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. All I'm trying to say is your sin ain't special. You're special, but your sin ain't special. You think you've got something that only you wrestle with, only you deal with. It's only bearing you down. Don't tell anybody. We can't let it out. No, 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 no. Your, your, your sin is common. It's ordinary. It's, it's, it's on the menu. We've all ordered from it. Okay. So lest you feel like I've got to hide and bury this image of myself and present something I'm not and, 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 never, and never put words to the actions of, of, my, of my heart because, because somebody might, what, empathize with you, understand exactly what you're going through. The truth of this church is that everybody in here is not in here because they finally reached good enough. And they finally been like, I figured it out, guys. Now I'm ready to go to church. I don't have sin in my life anymore. I've mastered my desires. I can now go and worship. No, we're all here going like dragging a limp leg. Like, God, help me. Oh my gosh, I can't do it. Another day. We're all so aware of our own depravity. We come before the one God who can help us. And together we worship him. And we ask him for help. So you don't need to hide in shame. You need to drag out into the light that which makes you cower in fear. And you find the freedom and the grace of God when you do just that. That's something we all have in common. 
And we have it in common because sin is in our nature. And the fall in the garden of the original sin, when Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means a couple things happened. It means she disobeyed God. She mistrusted God. And she took upon herself, and Adam as well, took upon themselves the power that is God and God's alone. The ability to define what is good and evil. This is the same set of sins we all struggle with to this day. We disobey God. We do not trust his will for our life. And we feel like we should be the ones who determine what is right and wrong for me. You don't tell me what I get to do. I get to tell me what I get to do. This is what happened in the garden. And this is what happens to today. And when that sin infects Adam and Eve, I believe it infects them at a genetic level, which means they passed it on to their children and their children's children and their children's children's children and to all of us. All of us wrestle with the same set of inner desires that go against the will of God. It's in our nature. It's a part of who we are. You don't have to like freak out about that. You don't have to beat yourself up about that. You just have to acknowledge the truth about your sin. And go on notice that there's a war battling against you. The Bible says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we can sit in here and go like, oh, don't get me. Uh, where is it? Nobody. You have not been made a victim in this life. You have been made a victor in this life. When you walk with Jesus, you have authority over the evil one. Because we have the one who has gone before us to free us from sin. So I don't need to be worried about the roaring lion. Man, that roaring lion is chained up to a fence. Can't get me. I can walk over to it. And let it bite me. But that thing is on a leash. So we're on notice today. We're not going to let sin catch us by surprise. We're not going to be all upset when temptation comes. Sin is in our nature. So temptation is only natural. That's a part of, the, that's a part of life. That's what we're going to face. But the Bible says that we do not fight this fight by might or by power. We fight it by the spirit of the living God. So what's true about you and me is that we have sin in our nature and it reveals itself in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, and just in our inner core. Even the good stuff we do out of pride to be seen. And so we fight not by our own strength, but we fight by the spirit of the living God. And so that's common to man. So we need to look what's true about God. And what's true about God is the Bible tells us that God is unchanging. That what was true about God is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the things that are true about God are always true about God, were always true about God, and will always be true about God. And Paul says, I want you to listen to the example of those who have gone before because they've fallen victim to the same things that you've fallen victim to. But the temptation that comes against you, it's common. You struggle with the same thing everybody else struggles with. But God is faithful. So what's true about God? He's faithful. He was faithful. He will be faithful. He'll always, he's always been faithful. That doesn't, I like to say it like this, God is not a fair weather fan. He doesn't like you only when you're doing good and when you're winning. God is not a Lakers fan. God is a fan... I just tell the truth. I just say what I see. 
See something, say something. <laughs> See a Lakers fan, find a Miami Heat fan in the same hat. Okay, uh, probably find a Yankees fan. Okay, anyways, Lord help me. Um, he's a fan all the time. He's faithful all the time. <laughs> he's faithful all the time. I can say that I'm a Washington fan, so I'm like beat up, bruised, and battered. Shout out. We suffer with our fan base through thick and thin. All right. God is faithful. It's unchanging about his nature. He is with you. He is faithful to you. And I need you to hear this because it is, you might like know it, but I want you to, in your heart, I want you to know it. God is not like your father. He's not like your friend who betrayed you or left you. He's not like that boyfriend or girlfriend that cheated on you. He's not like your spouse who lets you down every day. He's different. He's faithful. He's always been faithful. He is faithful. He'll always be faithful. God is unlike any earthly relationship you have ever experienced. So please do not use the experience you have with man to define the experience you'll have with God. He's different. He's faithful. The Bible says he's faithful to a thousand generations. That doesn't mean a literal thousand. That means he's faithful forever. One of my favorite verses in the Bible in Timothy, it says, it says, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Why? He cannot deny who he is. He doesn't act faithfully. He is faithfulness. He can't not be faithful. God is faithful to you. He's faithful to you when you've got it all together. And he's faithful to you when you're falling apart. He's faithful. He's faithful to you when you're making righteous decisions and you are like resisting temptation and you're like being a great husband, a great dad, a great, like he's, he's faithful to you when you're walking right. And he's faithful to you when you stumble and fall. You say those things you wish you didn't say. You do those things you wish you didn't do. And you find yourself at the most embarrassed point in your life at the end. You know what? God is faithful to you there. Because what's true about God is always true about God. And Paul says God is faithful. Not sometimes. All the time. And in this passage, he shows us three ways that God is faithful to us. The first is this. He says he's faithful not to not tempt you beyond your ability. He's faithful to not tempt you beyond your ability. When it comes to sin battles, you have more choices than you think. Sin is a choice. It's a decision you make. It's an action you choose to take. Temptation just presents you with the menu. It pre presents you with the choices. If you remember back in, in school when you would take a Scantron test, a multiple choice test, like, like temptation gives you the multiple choices. A, do what feels good. B, do what you deserve. C, do what feels right to you. And you go, man, which one of these should I choose? I got to pick one. But the thing about temptation is temptation never gives you the final choice. There's always another choice. There's always a way out. There's letter D, which says, do the thing that honors God and actually strengthens you. And if you've ever taken a test and you think you know the answer, what do you do? Sometimes you'll, you'll second guess yourself. You'll go like, I think it's, a, um, is it that? And you'll take a second thought to think about what the right answer is. And what I'm saying is when it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation, you always want to second guess yourself. You always want to go with the second thought. 
See, the first thought is the thought that comes from the flesh. That's the desire part of you. That's to say the thing, react the way, give in, go there, do that, drink that. Who cares? Just make it happen. You deserve it. Give in. That's the first thought. I'm here to tell you that there's a second thought, a second thought that comes from the spirit of God that says, well, sure about that? Now, some of us, we rush past that second thought so fast. We're like, oh, I never heard of God. I wasn't there, but it was there. <laughs> it was there. It was there. There's always a second thought. God always gives you the ability to choose not to give in. The second thought that says, you know, this is sin. You know, this damages you. You might not feel the effect today, tomorrow, or then, but one day the, do, the bill is coming due. Listen to the second thought. You always want to second guess yourself. But sometimes that first thought, it's so loud. It's so consistent. It's so constant. You find yourself kind of spiraling around it. Like I can't stop thinking about it. Like, like it's just obsessively there in my mind. I can't get my mind on anything else. And what I want to tell you is sometimes you need to interrupt that first thought. My kids interrupt me all the time. They don't seem to mind at all. I'll be giving them an instruction. Boys, let's get up from this room, go to the playroom so we can clean. But, 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 dad, I will, let me speak, get up, go into the, but, 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 dad, they think they have information that will change my mind. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I was not asking for opinions, children. I was giving orders. But, 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 um, if you knew what I had to say, you might not say what you're going to say. You might let me do my thing. But, 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 and sometimes I think we need to interrupt the first thought. The first thought that says, man, go for it, do it, give in, drink it, have it, chase it, pursue it, want it, you deserve it, doesn't matter, doesn't hurt anybody. You go, but, 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 but God is faithful. <laughs> God is faithful, but God is faithful. But no, 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 no. You just have it. Whatever you need, you get it. But, 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 but God is with me. He's not far from me. Oh man, you're a sinner. You know it. You've done this a whole life. It doesn't matter. You do it one more time. Just go for it. But, 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 but I am no longer a slave to sin. But I, you know, don't forget. But, but, but I have been made the righteousness of God. Yeah, but you, but, 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 but I have been set free. We need to interrupt the first thought. Our but God this week is but, but, but God is faithful even though I'm not. And I have the strength I need in him to get what I need to run from you and pursue holiness in him. See, I do have information, devil, you don't have. I do have something to say that you need to hear. I know you're whispering. I know you're saying all these things I've heard before. It's worked on me before, but, but, but I've got news for you. I'm a son of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I have not been given a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption into the family of God. So you can call me whatever you want to call me, but, 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 but I'm going to stand on the word of God and the truth that he has given to me. I'm going to interrupt the first thought. I'm going to stand on the second thought. Sometimes the interruptions, not all that. You don't have to know. Oh, he knows all that scripture. What do I, I don't know. Just say no. Try that for change. That's in the Bible. It says no somewhere. <laughs> Quote one word scripture. No. And see how it sets you free. The first thought will come for you. Take the second thought. God will not tempt you beyond your ability. That means you can do this. Sorry. That means you can do this. 
Not like I need to have enough faith to do it. Not like I need some, no, no, no. The word says he will not tempt you beyond your ability. What is your ability? You have the ability to say no to sin. You can do this. Secondly, God will give you, he is faithful to give you strength to endure. I love this. He's faithful to give you strength to endure. You will experience the greatest measure of God's strength when you realize that he is always with you. You'll experience the greatest measure of God's strength when you realize that he is always with you. One of the names of Jesus is the name Emmanuel. It means God with us. God is defined and named and called by the truth that he dwells with you. Not far from you, not over there, not at the church, not in some, he dwells with you. Jesus is defined by the name, called by the name of the one who left the perfection in the paradise of heaven to join us in the depths of our despair on earth. And he knew everything he was getting when he made that choice. He knew everything he was getting. And yet he chose to dwell with you. So as you're lost in the maze of life, up against the sin battles that rage against you, you need to know you are not alone. God is with you and he strengthens you. Isaiah 41.10, the Lord says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You understand it's God's grip on us that holds us up and makes us strong. It's not your grip on him, lest we all fall. But God is holding you. The mighty outstretched hand of God is holding you. He's making you strong. He's with you. And as you weather the storms of life, you don't weather them alone. You weather them with the power of God who dwells with you. Like with you, not next to you, not around you, with you. And in that you find the strength to endure the storm of temptation, the battle of sin that rages. God is with you. Lastly, God is faithful to give you a way out. He said he will provide for you a means to escape. God gives us a number of ways out. I just want to give you two this morning that I think are particularly helpful. Listen, when you find yourself in the maze, to continue our analogy, bumping up against dead end after dead end, getting all turned around, you're so lost you don't know your way out, there's got to be a point somewhere along the line where you just admit you're stuck. You're never going to get help unless at some point you just go, hey, guys, I'm super lost. I'm stuck. I keep bumping up against the same thing and I can't get, I can't, I can't get out. Yet so many of us just go like, let me just keep bumping up against it. Let me just keep bumping up against it. Let me just keep bumping up against it. Don't tell nobody. I'm fine. I'm good. Yep, God is blessed and highly favored. And we just keep bumping and keep bumping and keep bumping and keep bumping and keep bumping. And we wonder why it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But there is a grace in the act of confession that goes, I'm not okay. And I need some help. I've been bumping up against this thing my whole life. And I can't get around it. Does anybody know the way out? 
can anybody help me? Because I've, I've tried, but I just, I, it doesn't even seem like there's a pathway. Can anybody, can anybody help me? Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a grace in the act of confession that invites the mercy of God and the strength of others. And in that you can find freedom. I love to think of confession as taking the weapon out of the hand of the enemy and giving it to a trusted friend. Because I often feel like when it comes to my sin that the devil just speaks things over me that makes me feel small. It makes me feel bad and insecure and like a fraud. But when I confess that to a friend, I take the weapon out of his hand, I give it to a trusted friend, and I receive encouragement. I receive empathy. I receive the love of Christ. And I find freedom. And I realize I don't need to be small and hidden and and beat down and buried. No, I can stand I can stand tall because I don't stand alone. I experience the mercy of God and the strength of others that will join me in the path as we find our way out of this mess. We don't do it alone because we can't do it alone. One of the ways out is through confession, admitting that you're stuck. The second, I believe, is through repentance. Repentance just means to turn. Stop, turn, go this way. It means to have a new view on yourself, to rethink about the way that you, uh, to, to, uh, to see yourself in a, in a brand new way. There's got to be a point in the maze as we keep bumping up and bumping up against things, as we keep getting turned around that we go, does, does anyone, has, <laughs> has anyone been here and does anyone else know the way out? I'm going this way. I feel like I'm not making the best decisions. I feel like the choices I make tend to end up in my harm and the harm of others. They tend to damage relationships. They tend to lead to anxiety, insecurity, and depression in my heart. They tend to make me feel bad and do things I don't want to do, say things I don't want to say. I'm kind of coming to the point that maybe I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn to the one who knows. I don't like to think of repentance just as turning, although that's a great definition. That's all you need. Stop and turn. I like to think of repentance as running in the right direction, going after the one who knows the way out, chasing after the one who's been in the maze and has found the ending. So here's the thing. We can, in our own flesh today, go, all right, got it. Confession, repentance, I'm going to be good. I got this. And I just want to tell you, more flesh will only get you what you've always gotten. This is not an effort thing. It's the heart. This is the tension of this whole message. Yes, you have a responsibility to confront sin in your life. Yes, you have a responsibility to say no, to cut the thought off at the source, to change direction, to turn your mind. To, you have the responsibility to do that. But if you do it in your own flesh, you'll always get what you've always gotten. You've tried it in your own flesh. Nobody in here hasn't tried before. We've all tried. So more desire, more trying, more effort will not get you there. What we need is the one who knows the path out. What we need is the one who's gone before us, who's seen the maze. And the reason that Jesus is trustworthy in this way 
It's not because he's just holy and righteous and good in the cross. And yet Jesus is trustworthy because he is the only person who has ever walked the earth and resisted temptation. He walked the earth as a man, just like you and I walk the earth. And he has experienced and suffered every temptation that you have suffered. It was common to man. It was common to him. He literally went to the desert for 40 days for the purpose of being tempted. And he didn't give in. He sat in the garden of Gethsemane, literally right before his crucifixion and his death. And he prayed through, through sweat like blood. He prayed, God, let this cup pass from me. What does that sound like? That sounds like somebody who doesn't want to go into the thing he has to go into. That sounds like somebody who's tempted to go, can I not do it? Could I have another way? And it's his life on the line. This is not gossip or anger or cursing. This is your death. God, let this cup pass. But not my will. Yours be done. And if it claims my life, my life is yours anyways. So you can have it. He's trustworthy. Because he has been to the depths of hell. And he has come back victorious. He's trustworthy. Because not only does he know the maze, he has run your race for you. And he took upon himself the end of the course that you're running. Because the Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. So the path that we chart ourselves only ends in one thing. And the goodness of the grace of Jesus is that he goes before us. He runs the race we should have run. And he takes upon himself the death we should have died. And he says, I'll take your path. You take mine. It's narrow, but it's pretty straight. And what we need is not more flesh or more desire or more effort. What we need is to surrender to Jesus, to invite the power of God to dwell within us. If confession is, I'm stuck, repentance is, I'm going to get help. And we're saying, Jesus, I don't have the strength, but you can give me the righteousness of God and take upon yourself the wrath of judgment. God, I, I need, I need that. I need that. I can't go another day without it. God, above everything else, I need you. I need you. One of the things that makes Christians unique throughout history is our tradition of singing in the face of the most difficult circumstances and worshiping when everybody else would curse God. So as we close, I want to worship because it's easy to feel, and I hope you don't, but it's easy to feel a voice of condemnation. It's easy to feel small. It's easy to feel like, God, I really do wrestle with so much. But there's a freedom in this place. It says, God, you've gone before me. You are my strength. You are my righteousness. You are, you are my holiness. You are all that I need. So would you stand with me? I just want to close in a song that invites God into our hearts and into this moment and into this, into this space. Lord, we need you above all other things 
for we're not enough. Our strength isn't strong enough. But in our weakness, God, you give us, you give us grace. You oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. So God, we're humbling ourselves before you in this moment, inviting you in to be the strength that we need to get through the battles of today. Oh 
give God a praise. There's a moment for many of us to step into right now, which is just that of receiving the good gift that God is offering to us. As we look to him and we find the safest place to put our trust, to put our hope, to put, to put our lives. For some of us today, that means confessing something we've never confessed before. We'll have some people to pray with you down front, some pastors down here that if that's you, you just need to unburden your soul. We invite you to that and for you to experience the freedom that comes with it. For others, this is the moment of repentance, of turning from the way that you lived as the master of your life that has only ever led you to a dead end and to turn and to chase after Jesus, the one who knows the plans that he has for you and the way before you.